to On the Edge with Eddie Detangling Our Black Identities. I am your host, Eddie Etty. Like I always say, I am excited for you to be joining our journey to explore all the different shades of Blackness, have real conversations, and of course, great discussions. Our conversations, of course, are not to be, are not meant to degrade, discourage, or prove a point. Exploring Black identities. It's all about learning, empowering, and giving people a voice to tell their stories. And of course, be a voice for other people. Hashtag not all Black people are the same. Today, though, we are going all the way to the UK. Uh, I have my girl, Trudy Odum. And I mean, Trudy, she is just amazing. She's one of those, like, she's like my dream partner travel like we if anybody if i want to travel with anybody around the world it's going to be trudy because she knows how to do it right um you know trudy went to law school at the university of Texas, um did alb bachelor's of law um and then i don't know do, what is the equivalent of being called to the bar in the uk trudy no it's the same so you do have um yeah you have the bar as well but I didn't go to the I didn't study to become a barrister here I just did the studies the LLB and the LLM so the LLM all right well either way she is absolutely smart she is absolutely gorgeous beautiful um and Trudy is my Wache partner. Like we were in Ghana together, man. We killed that Wache. I'm telling you, killed it. <laughs> we killed it. Oh man, we had such a good time. Trudy, welcome to On the Edge with Eddie, detangling Black identities. How are you doing, love? I am well, Eddie. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited and looking forward to the amazing topic that we're going to tackle together today. So thanks for inviting me. Sweet. All right, you know what? Let, let me let me just begin with so a little background. Um, both your parents, um, Auntie Mercy and of course Uncle Sam, um, are from Ghana, right? But yes. they've been living in the UK for a minute. Um, yep. You were born in the UK. Um, uh uh-uh. No. You want to uh-uh. exactly. What? So I'm gonna give you a real perspective. Okay. Exactly. Okay. My that my bad. My bad. But you know you've lived in the UK practically your whole life, mostly. Uh-huh. Um, let me ask you this. You're a black man, a black woman in the UK, in the United States, the way blacks are viewed is different, right? My question to you is how are blacks viewed in the UK? Cause I have no idea. I came to visit the UK and uh, it's just, I was just there for like a minute, you know? So uh-huh. tell me what, how are blacks viewed in the UK, um, from your perspective? Right. So I think racism and the way that blacks are looked at in their states is basically comparable to no other. Right. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the way black people are treated in the U.S., we literally look at it in awe from the, from this side of the world. We're just like, how is this allowed to even take place in the U.K.? Things are a little bit more subdued. Right. So the British are very diplomatic. They know how to pretend. Right. They might not like you, but they will smile a little bit and you will feel a little bit comfortable. They won't make you feel like you're beneath them at all. They might go and whisper something behind you because of prejudices or because of racism, but they it's not glaringly obvious. 
And of course, you've got things like institutionalized racism and things like that. And let me take it back a little bit, because obviously I, I wasn't born in this country. I moved to this country when I was about eight years old. And so I had to transition from life in Ghana and how I was viewed. I don't think when I was in Ghana, I even saw myself as a black person because we all looked the same. And then obviously moving to the UK, you realize that actually you're looked at a little bit differently. Your hair is a little bit different. The way you talk is a little bit different. Your family dynamics is a little bit different. The way you're disciplined at home is a little bit different. So in the sense that, you know, my right. friends at school, that I, the friends that I made at school would be like, oh, come out to play, come out to play. And my parents would be like, uh, no, you're not going anywhere. It's not yeah. safe out there. Do you know what I mean? So it's just the dynamics were a little bit different. And I think even as a child, you notice that people treat you differently because you look different to them. And well, this was back in 2001, 2002, um, where racial awareness wasn't really that prominent in any society at all. Yeah. And so I think for, for kids, the main reason why some of their actions will come off as racist would be because they're not used to seeing things that are different to them. Mm. Right. So exposure is a big thing, obviously, in, in this day and age. Right. Kids are a lot more exposed. You've got the Internet. You can see that everybody's different. You know, go on YouTube a little bit and merely even the cartoons you watch have, have got a black character in there or an Asian kid in there. So you can tell that, OK, not everybody is the same and kids can learn that growing up. Whereas when I was growing up, all the cartoons that I watched on TV, they were all white people. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Except so these kids are looking... <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah right that's exactly that's the you have the odd one ones black person, yeah. <laughs> right you, you have the odd ones but with the main ones you know yeah. people yeah. just yeah all they see white people so obviously they're looking at you like where are you from can I touch your hair can I touch your skin yeah yep. right and now so when you're growing up um and I'd say from secondary school from college mm -hmm. it's a little bit different to uh, so again it, it becomes more subdued again because the kids or your peers at school or secondary school or college they don't want to be seen as racist but they'll treat you differently because you're not like them right yeah um and and then when i entered the world of work as well uh, institutionalized racism is definitely there i especially for me i mean it's really strange because as a black woman I feel like I don't feel it as much as black men do even in this country mm -hmm. and I'm sure in the states it's exactly the same so where I believe that racism in the states or the way black people in, are viewed in the states is much worse than in the UK the way right. that black men are viewed in the UK is much worse than the women so sometimes I feel really really lucky because the men are going through a lot black men are going through a lot and of course we just need to make sure that they are protected and they are also not living up to the stereotypes that have been placed against them so mm. that's that yep. um, but going to work in a um, a predominantly white environment I definitely did feel like I stood out like a sore right. thumb yeah. I felt like there was nobody in my department that looked like me apart from one other black yeah. woman literally and most times I felt like an imposter I questioned myself like do I even deserve to be here it's really strange like am I supposed to feel privileged to be here am I supposed to feel lucky to be here or am I out of place so you end up questioning yourself a lot because you don't really see people like you around you did they not deserve to be there so you have right. all these questions running through your head like and 
yeah, I just think it's a little bit more subtle here and it's, it's, it's been difficult to navigate and you've literally got to pep talk yourself all the time and, and literally um, speak confidence into your own self to make sure that right. you're not pulled down by all the forces against you. Um, I think with the Black Lives Matter movement that obviously came forth recently in recent times and the death of... Um, George Floyd. Exactly. George Floyd. You know, awareness has been raised a lot more around racism, the way that black people are looked at at, and the way that black people are treated. Um, But we're a long way away from that, even with the Mm. company that I work in, when the whole thing happened and, you know, everybody was talking about the Black Lives Movement. It was on the news everywhere and my company, a global conglomerate, did not say a word about it. And I felt that. Do you know what I mean? Because I was like, right. how can you see yeah. everything happening and not say anything? Anything about it. Yep. Not say anything. So I, at that time, I felt like, wow, I can't even believe this. And, mm. and, but then at a point, I just thought, do you know what? What did I expect? They are obviously right. run by white people and they probably find it very uncomfortable to right. discuss some of these things. Um, and so I think it was later on, months down the line maybe four or five months down the line the ceo issued a statement to say about the movement and what to do and i was like well a bit late <laughs> but better late than never so i think now um and of more recently we've, we have been talking about how we can bridge the gap they have started um you know, a regime to recruit more black people and make sure that they're supporting black students so that they can get into, you know, large companies like that and and work their way up and things like that. So we are where we are, but. So I'm going to take this back because again, you hit on a lot of different topics that we're going to be covering, Mm -hmm. you know, details with. So let me take back into when you were eight, you moved to the UK um, you move from like all black country to like a space that's all white, right? And mm-hmm. you get there and there's this transition period, right? So, you know, for me, when I moved to the United States, you know, I was 14 and, you know, there's this cultural shock, right? Um, mm-hmm. What we know or what we see about um, even white people and black people on TV is what we know, mm-hmm. right? Like, I don't really mm-hmm. know a whole lot about, you know, what American Blacks are like, even before I got to the United States. And there's this mm-hmm. shock when I first got here. Um, can you tell me that transition? What was it like for you at very young age of eight, you moved to the UK, and even the way you were dressing was different. What mm-hmm. was that transition like for you at that young age? Well, so for me, you know, when you come from Ghana and, and the way that you dress and the way that you do your hair, that's all you know. So you don't really think that you're that different until people point it out to you. Yeah. Right. So I think the first time that I realized that, oh, I'm a bit different was when I went to school and they all wanted to touch my hair. They were like, it feels like cotton. It's so fluffy. Like, right. how do you do this? Like, you know, can I touch you? Can I touch your skin? You know, and that felt weird. And that's when I started to think that okay I am different Mm. and it's because you know they haven't seen a lot of black people around so they they don't know how to act when they see that and you know kids are naturally very inquisitive as well but in terms of yeah and in terms of 
coming here and trying to transition of course my parents did have a community around like of, of a few black people we all went to the same church so when you get into that environment it's like your comfort zone you yep. you yeah. feel at home this is all you know everybody looks yeah. the same yeah. yeah so you only feel the difference when you are in spaces where blacks don't dominate which right. was in, in a lot of the time like supermarkets at school um at school clubs things like that so my comfort zone was probably at home and at church <laughs> yeah that was it that's right yep yep <laughs> well, all right well let's do you remember again maybe this might be hard you know for you to remember because again again at that point in time you didn't even know what racism was right again i didn't mm-hmm. even know what racism was when i was like in college right mm-hmm. remember um besides when you went to school and people were um, you know, touching your hair and wanting to touch your skin. Do you remember the first time you actually had an incident of racism or when you actually understood what racism was? Hmm. Yes. So I remember this quite vividly. I was in secondary school and there was a girl that used to pick on me all the time. And um, this girl, like she was quite a piece of work and she had a fight with another white girl she was a white girl had a fight with another white girl you know everybody kind of kept it under wraps and stuff like that and then when she continued picking on me I retaliated one time right so it became a fight and she started threatening me that she was going to go and tell the school authorities that I got involved in the fight her mates were after me and I just thought hold on a minute this girl fights with people all the time it doesn't go to anybody unless a teacher sees it and then all of a sudden it's me and you want to basically get me expelled Mm. do you see what I mean and and also in my school again we used to see a lot of fights between black people and white people so after school at five or 4 p.m they'll be like okay meet me at the park and literally all you see is a bunch of white kids against five black people and they'll be going at it literally (laughs) So you definitely began to see that. And I never understood the rationale. I didn't understand why you'd want to fight with somebody and and the groups. It was just the division was so clear. You just knew that it was racially driven. But why? Was it because they felt threatened? We felt threatened? Who was feeling threatened? Like, what caused all these fights? And yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it's crazy. It is crazy because like, you're right. Right. Um, you know, what I've, what I've seen or with the people that I've talked to, it just seems like there's a theme of usually when somebody is afraid of something or they're not, they don't know about a culture or a person, or in this case, you know, they don't know about, you know, the black identities. Right. Um, mm-hmm. it becomes a fear, right. Mm-hmm. And the way to sort of deal with the fear of blackness mm-hmm is either to retaliate, to threaten, to scare, to try mm-hmm. to get into certain certain situation that is really not, doesn't warrant that situation. Um, yeah. You had mentioned about, you know, some stereotype. Um, in the UK, like, so in the US, there's this whole thing of, you know, you see a black man and automatically people assume either they're a criminal, they're going to steal something or, you know, something worse, right? Um, in regard- mm-hmm. How, how you look right if you're black uh-huh. man, you're, you're you're a criminal right um what are some of the stereotypes that you see in the uk um as far as blacks are concerned 
think not well it's definitely still there but i think when people see black men depending on how they look Mm -hmm. they might not have that stereotype of he's a criminal so if a black man was wearing a hoodie or blacked out Right. You know, you can't really see his face, then it, they will definitely think, you know, this one is a bit of a criminal. He's got the propensity to steal from me. Let me just cross the road. Like, <laughs> they will definitely do that. Yeah. But if you're a black man who is well rounded, like you look the part right. per white standards, they don't feel as threatened because obviously they feel like, okay, this one is a bit like us. So mm. it's right. all right. Maybe rarely or occasionally they may get treated differently too, but predominantly it's the way that you look and the way that you present yourself that seems to be like have the stereotype attached to that sort of, yeah. Okay. So how about, so how does, you know, um, football is coming to play? So again, football is a big thing in the UK and you mm. know, all my American friends, football, we're not talking about American football, we're talking about soccer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So the footballers, there's this whole culture around footballers um, and even the black footballers, you know, it doesn't matter how good they are. Sometimes I see the media portraying them in a negative sense. Right. So, mm-hmm. for example, I read uh, recently um, uh, there was a younger football player that bought a house for um, the mom. And then the yeah, same- Marcus Rashford. Yeah, 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 right, yeah, Rashford, yeah. And then I think there was another white uh, football player that also bought a house for the mom. But, you know, they made a big deal about, you know, why a, a, a black football player is able to buy a house for the mom versus just a white person buying a, I mean, so it, what is the shocking around football and why I, does the media portray that like that? And, I, and, and Ed, I just want to say that it's literally not just around football. If I went and I bought a house worth one million pounds right now somebody will think that I'm doing something dodgy just because I'm black and I've made it right Mm -hmm. they're not used to seeing black people um, succeeding because that that is that you know that is what it is you know people are used to black people being under them working as cleaners struggling to make ends meet and Mm -hmm. so it's really weird that this new generation of black people are breaking glass ceilings and are are shooting their shot doing their thing and and succeeding and being rich it's strange to see and so people always think there's more to it than a successful career right Huh. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's actually very similar to the U.S. in some way, too, um, you know, except, you know, for them, it's like, oh, you don't you don't even belong in our class, even if you're successful. Right. Um, uh-huh. So second, I'm going to talk about the black gap. Um, but before I do that. Um, what you just mentioned reminds me of the concept of white privilege, right? Because a lot of uh, um, whites don't understand what white privilege is, right? So for example, um, if you have two individuals, a black and a white, both working at a fast food restaurant, cleaning the bathroom, right? People look at that and say, well, I don't have white privilege because, you know, my mom or my dad cleans the bathroom at a restaurant, right? But they don't realize that the fact that you get in the car or in the train and you're driving home and people don't look at you a certain way or have a certain sort of like um, image of you, that is right? So Uh see a lot of the white privilege at play in the UK as well. Facts. It's definitely there. Definitely, definitely there. And I think they don't realize it either. 
right. and I'm just so happy that we're in a generation where um, we're bringing awareness to it. Social media allows for people to really speak their minds and educate their peers. So right. people are beginning to hear more about it. They might not understand it, but the fact that you're hearing about it is good, right? Because soon enough, if we say it enough times, you will begin to understand what it means, right? So it's- generation though. But the previous generation- In this generation, I think, oh yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think the other- No no hope. I don't think they- (laughs) They don't. They don't want to change, right? No. Um, but you're right. This generation, like you were saying, there's hope, <laughs> yeah. right? Facts. Huh. All right. So let's let's talk about the black gap, right? So again, it, 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 there is the sort of the the rich blacks, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the the other blacks that, like you said, um, you know, uh, mostly when the whites see them, they're you know either the the uh, custodians or, uh, you know, sweeping floors or doing like the blue collar work. Right. Right. Uh, How, how big is the gap, um, within the UK system? And is there a recognition of there is this blacks here and then there's this blacks here. And is there any connection between them or did they just sort of separate themselves? Um, another way to answer this, uh, ask this question is, so there is the sports world, right? So when kids are growing up, they either want mm-hmm. a, a rapper or a footballer, right? Or mm-hmm. sports. There isn't really any like, you know, like law or doctor or any like profession in between, right? It's either mm-hmm. you're, or you're not. Do you see mm-hmm. a lot of that in the UK? It's really hard to tell because it really depends on people's social circles. But I do think that when Blacks have made it, mm-hmm. most times they don't want to be associated with the ones on the lower level, right? right? You kind of feel like, okay, I'm a bit prominent now. I'm getting closer to the white side. I hope, not, I hope with all the education that's happening, it's not so much the case now. But I definitely feel like back in the day, we saw that a lot more. Um, so there is that gap there that gap exists maybe we're closing it more now with a lot more awareness and you know we're acknowledging that everybody is different and that's fine right you can be black and you can be rich you can be white and you can be rich I think another issue in the UK it's not so much about color when it comes to the gap in terms of status but British people and I don't know whether all British people actually realize this but they will look down on anybody who's not British they'll look down on Eastern Europeans because Eastern Europeans are classed as lower than them. So it's not even just about you being African and you're cleaner. They'll look at you exactly the same if you're Eastern European and you're cleaner beneath them. Mm. So they they focus more on sort of the nationalities. Um, If you're not, uh, you know, uh, if you're not sort of from the UK, you're yeah, and I think that it's really weird as well, because just thinking about it now, if if you're not if you're from the States or from Canada or from France or from the prominent Western countries, they don't really seem to have a problem. But if you're Eastern European, South American from the Caribbean, black, oh, wow. you're all in the same pool, dear. you're all in the same pool maybe black people get it worse because the color is also different but you're all in the same pool as in they do look down on you (laughs) yeah yeah no that's that's sort of crazy um so you had mentioned earlier that you know especially now that you're working again Mm -hmm. 
you work in a, sort of a, a prominent um, company and uh -huh. you know, you've been there for a while and you know you are one of a kind in that space um, uh -huh. sometimes you feel like an imposter right why do you feel like an imposter <laughs> it's really strange and every time i think about this well i take it back to okay so with this company i've worked there for a long time so i think i started working there in 2013 mm -hmm. and then um i just wanted to um rise up within the ranks and i didn't really manage to do that there were forces against me and so i went back to study and that's when i did my masters and the company recruited me again after my master's studies but in a more senior role and the way that i think i viewed it at the time was when I was in the lower position before I went to do my master's, the way I was made to feel was that I never deserved to be up there. I never deserved to be in the high position that I always wanted. But for my master's, I wouldn't have made it into the high position. So when I got there, I almost couldn't believe it. And I felt weird. I didn't see anybody like me around. Right. And I felt like, did I even deserve to be in this role? Because it, I almost felt like I didn't deserve to be there because when I was in the lower position, I was made to feel you're not going to make it there. Right. Like you're just not, do you know what I mean? <laughs> so I think that's when the imposter syndrome comes into play and that coupled with not seeing people around you who look like you um, also plays into that because you feel like sometimes, I, I don't know. I think sometimes I also felt really lucky to be there, but should I be feeling lucky? I got here based on merit. Right. I didn't beg anybody to get this job. Do you know what I mean? But you, you begin to feel there. like that because you're one <laughs> of a kind, as you put it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Huh. <laughs> no, it is really, really strange. It is strange. It, it, so, and a lot of people don't actually um, understand that, right? Because, again, in my space in technology, there isn't a lot of Black people in technology, right? Mm -hmm. technology, you know, especially in the IT space, it's usually all white men, right? White mm -hmm. men. Of that so um you know i sit in meetings and there's usually a whole bunch of white guys surrounding me and i'm the only black guy there right and so <laughs> i get what you're saying and sometimes uh -huh. i ask myself why am i even here right right <laughs> you know, right why am i in this role should i like right the job or get another you know do something <laughs> else where i can be around people who look like me right right so, yeah, i get that imposter syndrome because it's just like you're like, wait, no, I deserve to be here, but right. though I might be smarter than 90% of the people that I'm sitting around the table with. Like the way, just because I'm here sort of makes me look little, right? Just because, <laughs> of, you know, and a lot of people don't yes. understand that, right? Um, you know, which then plays into sort of like the institutional racism, right? Because, you know, the institutional racism, a lot of times, like you say, you know, the UK, they're very diplomatic, right? And so the, the things that is embedded in the system that people use against Blacks that mm -hmm. they might not be aware of, right? Yeah. So I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you, are there um, sort of the, the institutional racism that you, you were talking about, are you aware of certain things that happen, you know, either within your company or within other spaces that you're aware of that um, people don't even know about? Yeah, and I think companies 
try to use peer reviews as a way to cover things like this up. So I don't know whether this exists in the States, but in the UK, you're absolutely not allowed to discuss your salary or bonuses or anything for that matter. So yeah. if you are being cheated or being treated unfairly, you will never know. And when you do know, you can't raise it to your boss because you weren't even supposed to be discussing it. Know about it. <laughs> right. So that is why there is an unknown gap between how black people are paid and, and, and how white people are paid is the gap is definitely there, right. but nobody can quantify it because you're not supposed to be talking about it in the first place. So that's one of that, those as well. I think as well, another thing that as, as a black woman, I have learned during this process and transition, you know, moving from Ghana to be here, moving from, you know, my low end job to where I am now is most times you literally have to pep talk yourself. You do. You need to speak confidence into yourself to keep going right. and to realize that you deserve to be where you are. And I think yeah. that allows you to challenge some of those injustices that we feel at work. Because if you don't pep talk yourself and, and, and talk confidence into your own spirit, you will yeah. be where they want you to be. You're yeah. not going to get those pay rises. If you know, you're told that you're not going to get pay rise, you're not going to challenge it because you think, okay, at least I've got a job. Do you know what I mean? You've got to know your worth. It's not based right. on color. You're there because of what you're bringing to the table, because of the knowledge, because of you know, how great you are as compared to everybody else that they interviewed. So I think we just need to remind ourselves of that, maybe more frequently than our white counterparts, but do it. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. funny that even in the UK they they hide that, right? But in yeah. the US, especially in the public space, um, like so, my institution, for example, um, you know that your salaries are public, right? So you right. know everybody makes and you can pull out report of all of the salaries and compare um sort of the education versus um experience and all of that and compare oh. it. And okay. you know that this person is making like more, way more than, you know, you're making, right? So for example, um, so in my, in my situation as, a, as an IT director, um, I am one of the, the least paid IT directors at the University of Iowa, right? But yet, if you look at all the IT directors, there's probably only two out of 20 of them that has a master's degree, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then talk about experience and all of the other experiences, but you look at that and you're like, okay, um, that is blatantly institutional racism, right? Yeah, yeah. That up, and they're like, oh no, you know, it's 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 the market. Well, what do you mean is the market? What does the market say? Like the market says, just because I'm a black man, I'm not supposed to be making as well as much as my uh, my equals, right? Uh, uh, uh. I have more education, I have more experience, but you're telling me the market says you can't make that much, right? And it, it's crazy. Yeah. It's to even from the job space to like when you're buying a car or you're buying a house, you know. Um, you know, I remember when I went when we were buying our first house and trying to look for a mortgage. I talked to like some of the loan, the lenders. You know, we talk on the phone, right? Because I don't sound black when I talk on the I, phone, right? But when they see you, they show up and they see me, and they see someone with like you know their hair braided or like <laughs> proper. They're like, oh no, we don't think we can give you a loan, right? Right. It happens here. That is the same thing, and I think I'm like. I don't understand 
you know, how, how I look, the way I look is going to prevent me from paying bills. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's absolutely mean? mad. And, and and on the point of salaries and things like that, I was just going to say that we also owe it to ourselves to do the research because yeah. I think the best time or the best point to negotiate your salaries when you're going in. And if and an imposter syndrome plays into this as well because if you're like, oh, I'm a bit privileged to have even applied for this IT director role and be given an interview, right. if they tell you, oh, well, the salary for this role is $98,000 when yep. your peers are getting paid $150,000 and you take it, that's really on you. I mean, right. they should have been transparent and said, well, we're going to give you $150,000 because that's what your peers are on. But yep. you owe it to yourself to do that extra research. And maybe it's part of white privilege that white people don't have to do this, but we need to do this for ourselves and do the research and say that, actually, I know that I'm worth more than that. And if you're not going to pay me this amount, I'm happy to not take the job. And, and I've think, done that a few times this year. Right. And I that's think that's my problem. <laughs> that's great. I mean, you're right. People need to do that. But I, part of the problem I see for us Blacks, though, is, you know, we don't know what we don't know, right? You know, but again, part of the white privileges, they have networks that give some sort of this information. Insight. Yeah. You know what? Hey, you need to ask for this amount of money, right? You know, but for us Blacks, especially for Ghanaians, we're so thankful. Oh, my oh, God. It's I ridiculous. <laughs> you know, everything is great. You know, and Honestly. if we forget that, we belong in that space, right? Right, right. <laughs> and, I, and I actually and I actually wanted to touch on this because I definitely thought about this when, you know, we discussed about, we talked about having this discussion. Mm-hmm. I think growing up as a Ghanaian with Ghanaian parents can be a disservice to oneself Agreed. if you're not self-aware mm-hmm. and you don't read and you don't do your research. And you, you like, do you know what I mean? You just yeah. have to look out there and want to know more because... Ghanaians really teach you how to be humble. Yes. Humility and humility above all else. Humility over wisdom, humility over challenge. And that's how we play ourselves because you're you're taught or you're told to do as you're told. Don't challenge elders. Don't challenge. Do you know what I mean? So people's eyes and, you know, be thankful. Right. Right. So (laughs) I think it explains a lot, even when you compare Ghanaian kids growing up to kids in even black kids that grow that grow up in the US or the US or the States the difference is so clear because the confidence in a Ghanaian child is not there because they're just told to keep quiet don't talk unless you're spoken to don't speak when elders are speaking be humble don't challenge anybody and it's those values that you're taught as a young person that stay with you and that's why (laughs) it, it is what it is at the moment no, it's great. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Because again, you know, we thought that if you any little thing that you get, you have to be thankful for it. Yep. And so what that translates into is if you get a job and you're, you know, the top of the line, you work so hard, you're so good at what you're doing, and you're being paid a certain amount, you should be thankful for that amount, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Instead of looking at, wait, you know, I should be over here compared to everybody else, right? Right. And that mentality, you're right, is sometimes what destroys us, especially Ghanaians. And uh-huh. you know, because you're like, oh, thank God for this job. Oh, <laughs> you know, but meanwhile, you are doing so much more than everybody else within, exactly. you know, 
your team, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and it's facts. And I saw that in my parents, and that's one thing that I vowed. I was just like, absolutely not following their footsteps on this one. Right. Because I think that it's a disservice to yourself. Yeah. You work so hard, and you don't have much to show for it. Like, how do you think that's fair to you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> It's not about being thankful to God. Yes, we're grateful, but I didn't, I worked to be here. So yep. surely I deserve to get paid the amount as well. Right, right. Oh, man. So one, one more question, and then, you know, we can go into some other spaces as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. when things like George Floyd happen, um, mm-hmm. when other unarmed Black men are killed in the United States, I'm curious as to how the U the UK media or how people in the UK perceive that, right? Do they just perceive it as oh, you know, that's the US and that happens, or you know, because in the US, what they do is like they talk about the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, right? And then you have these people just arguing and you know, mm-hmm. oh no, the police did this and the police did that, and the police was supposed to do that, right? Um, how is it portrayed when something like that happens in the US? So it definitely does come up in the news over here, but I think the British people, again, and this comes with their diplomacy, they really Mm. try to be impartial and not take a side, right? And if you don't take a stand against what's wrong, we know what side you're on. Right. Do you see what I mean? So your silence is loud. You're not saying anything, but it's very loud. And I think in this generation, what has helped bring awareness to the situation is literally young people taking this upon their own selves Mm. and going onto social media and causing an uproar. And that causes the media to talk and and do more and say more and actually you then you start getting those opinions of in the articles to say oh, actually this was wrong and the UK are not innocent and blah 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 but it's it's literally because of social media and people causing an uproar on there saying this is absolutely wrong before the British will intervene because them diplomacy is their number one mantra they won't take a side Oh man, that you know, and that's something I never knew that. <laughs> yeah, right? I never knew that actually. That's the thing, and it makes perfect sense because, you know, why bother if nobody else cares about it, right? Because you live in your own quote perfect world, and yep. if you're not as bad as the U.S. and everything is just you know swept under the table, so why even bother talk about it, right? And yeah, why- and that's what. And that's exactly what the British will do. But I think what the public do, they challenge that and say, British, Britain, well, this country is not innocent. They have done similar things. Again, it's just easily swept under the rug and, you know, people don't talk about it as much. So these things that happen in the States have allowed us to ride off the back of that and bring awareness to how things could be better. I remember when the George Floyd issue happened, a lot of people came up to say how the police force in in the UK had treated them badly. Investigations happened off the back of that. And, And as I say, with the British, because they're very diplomatic, they want to be seen as doing something. The outcome might not be, you know, what you expect, as in they don't want to be seen to sanction their own, but they want to be seen to be doing something. So they'll carry out the investigation and they'll say, well, based on the investigation, mm, we don't really think anything went badly here. Maybe in one case out of 10, they might say, okay, we'll own up and we'll take responsibility, but they want to be seen to be doing the investigation if anything happens. They just won't carry it through and justice will not always be served. Oh, that's crazy. Oh, man. Yeah. We, we, I mean, we have, we have a lot to learn. I mean, we have a lot to do as a society. We have, we, we just, 
we have so much education to do um, and we have people need to just sort of learn and take a step back and just mm -hmm. recognize that everybody's a human being, right? <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And I, and I, and I, sorry, carry on. No, you're fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, and I, and I think as I alluded to during this conversation, that social media has been a friend and a foe. So obviously, when it comes to information sharing, information gathering, yeah, we think social media is bad and all of that. But when it comes to bringing awareness to some of these issues, without social media, we really would not have got it where. It got to i don't think i think the george floyd issue social media actually facilitated those protests that happened because people would use social media to say okay today we're meeting here we're protesting against it actively this is what we're doing about it and all the cities got involved obviously as you saw right. and it's the rise of this young generation coming together sharing knowledge and educating themselves over social media platforms and we're standing against things that we don't think is right but if we left it to the traditional forms of information like newspapers and yeah. new broadcasted news, we would get nowhere. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, man. Great. Um, yes, we're on the edge with Eddie, Detangled Black Identities, with my girl, Tootie Odom, uh, all the way from the UK, Dagenham. I miss you so much. I can't wait to come back. Can't wait to see so you. Let's talk, let's talk Let's talk about some fun things. Like, so you travel, you know, to a lot of uh -huh. places. Um, what has been your favorite place you've traveled to so far? Okay, world? I'd say the favorite place has been Jordan. Jordan. And uh, say really? Jordan in the Middle yeah. East because I didn't expect it to be my favorite place and I absolutely loved it. I thought that I yeah. would feel marginalized. I thought that I would feel... Um, like pe people will be racist towards me but it was the opposite people were so friendly you know that stigma that's attached with muslims and not liking their own and things i don't know it's really strange yep. jordan was the friendliest country that i'd been to and because i didn't expect to like it i was completely right. overwhelmed by how i was treated right. the hospitality and the things that i saw there it was absolutely amazing i'd say jordan go there honestly right huh all right yeah um when are we taking our trip? Because I think, we're, wait, where are we supposed to go? No, Brown not Bora Bora. We're supposed to. <laughs> oh, yeah. So Bahamas. We're, we're supposed Bahamas. To, next, Bahamas. Yeah, Bahamas. Yes. Um, so we need to go to Bahamas. We need to schedule yes. that. We need to make it happen. But when I yes. get to um, London again, though, you have to promise to take me uh, the underground train to, uh, um, is it Maldives, right? Is that where we're going? Or are we going to Malta? <laughs> Malta. No, well, the under first of all, Ed, the, the underground will not take you to Malta. Let's start there. <laughs> okay, well, you know, we we get to Paris though. Some Yeah, some we'll way. get to yeah. Paris, exactly. We'll get to Paris right. if they don't go bust yeah. because of coronavirus, because that's definitely on the table as well. But yeah, so um Europe is definitely on the cards. I would like to take you to Santorini. I think that would be nice. Okay, I'm game. I'm game. I'm game. Exotic. We need to make that happen. <laughs> we need to make that happen. <laughs> oh, we awesome. do too. When Corona is over. Oh, dear. <laughs> All right. So you are on the edge with Eddie, detangling black identities. I am your host, Eddie Etsy. Um, my guest, Trudy Odom from the UK. Absolutely gorgeous woman. Beautiful. We had such a good time when we get to Ghana together. We need to uh, we need to uh, reunite in Ghana again and have some watch it joint. I mean, 
it's a blast and thank you so much for joining our um uh talking to us about what's going on in the uk um let me ask you this question you have one minute to take give the world a message one mm -hmm. minute to give mm -hmm. the world a message what would you tell the world <laughs> i'd say to the world that make it a point to have uncomfortable conversations right so conversations around racism conversations around things that you know you're not so educated about and you're scared to speak about have those conversations because awareness education knowledge sharing is absolutely key to making this world a better place nice 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 you heard it from trudy the capacity to learn is a gift the ability to learn is a skill the willingness to learn is a choice you're on That's the right. edge with eddie i'm your host And that's a wrap. Until next time, stay safe, keep on learning.